All right, so we are in our series, Bible Basics, and this week we come to creation. And what's interesting is as I was working on this this week, I was like, wow, this is going to cover everything we've already covered so far. So this is kind of like a summary of what we've been looking at so far. But before we start, we have to get something straight right up front, okay? Genesis is narrative, which means what? It's a storybook. Which means what? It's not a science textbook. (laughs) And because it's not a science textbook, it should not be used and viewed that way. Okay? Because when it comes to the creation account, it is so easy to get lost in all the controversies and the rabbit trails, and we miss the point of creation. See, there are many different views of creation, and there is much controversy over Genesis 1, okay? In Genesis 1, one of the controversies I'm just going to... Oh, thank you. We do need more. There we go. One of the controversies is this. Is there a gap period of time between verse 1 and verse 2? Where in verse 1... The whole of creation happens in the invisible and the visible realm. But then does Satan fall along with some of the angels, and then the world becomes chaotic, it becomes dark, it becomes empty and void until God speaks light and order into it? That's one controversy. Another one is this. (laughs) Are the days that God creates, are they literal 24-hour days? period? Or is it an age? Which means, is this a long period of time with each day? And then how in the world, (laughs) we'll see this when we read it, how in the world can there be light before God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars? We could easily lose our way running down these rabbit trails, trying to chase and find the answer. And when we do that, we get lost and we miss the point. And I don't want us to get lost in this sermon, okay? I don't want us to lose our way. And the reason why is because the very first words of this book is what? In the beginning, God. It all starts with God. Everything starts with God. This is God's story. God is the single cause of all of creation. Everything that he creates, it owes its existence to him. And whatever he creates is created for him, which means God is telling us the story of the creation of all things for a specific reason. And he wants us to listen to what that reason is. But here's the thing. You can only hear when you stop talking. (laughs) Right? So we need to stop talking about all of the controversies and as if Genesis is a science textbook that gives us all the answers to our questions. It does not. We need to stop talking and we need to listen. So what does God want us to hear about creation. First thing he wants us to hear is, who is is Genesis written to? (laughs) It's written to Israel. 
It's written to Israel sometime after God had rescued and redeemed them from their slavery to Egypt and before they enter the promised land, which means Israel has no idea who this Yahweh is who redeemed them. And they don't understand what their redemption from Egypt was all about. See, they just just experienced 400 years of slavery, so they don't understand what's going on. They're displaced. They're disjointed. Life has been empty. Life has been dark. Life has been chaotic. They've been surrounded by evil, and they have no idea what is good. They don't even know who they are. They don't know who God is. They don't know what their purpose is. So think about that. Without knowing these things, you would feel lost, wouldn't you? Without knowing these things, you would be insecure. You would struggle to find meaning and purpose if you don't know who you are and where you came from. You wouldn't know your value or worth until God speaks. So listen to God's first words to Israel. And I'm going to have you stand. I know it's, well, yeah. No, it's, well, you're already standing. Uh, Okay. Don't lock. Don't lock your knees, okay? I'm sorry. It is long. And we're going to read Genesis 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth (laughs) was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning. The first day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed and fruit, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. 
And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created this great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas, let the birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us, <laughs> plural, interesting, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know what this means? You were made to say to a tornado, stop. And it would. Something to think about. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea. Over the birds of the heavens. Over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. All right, and I'm sorry I made you stand. That was too long, <laughs> but that was good. All right, I pray, so we're going to jump right in. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, verse 17 says this, faith comes from hearing. Faith does not come from seeing. It comes from hearing, okay? So what does God want us to hear? with this creation story. And I'm going to give you the answer up front and then unpack it. But what's interesting is that, again, this goes with what we looked at last week. The main point, what God wants us to hear is this. God is on his throne for you. 
God is reigning and ruling over everything that he has created for his glory and for your good. And the first thing I want you to notice as we unpack this is how God creates. How does he create? He creates by the power of his word. God doesn't use tools. (laughs) He doesn't need materials. He creates something out of nothing by merely speaking it into existence. God speaks, and it is so. Let there be, and there was. Now, theologians call this a divine fiat, which is simply a divine word of command that brings into existence what it expresses. Sorry, Siri, stop. Yeah, it's a couple weeks ago when I had that phone call, right? Y'all remember that? I did remember to turn off notifications, though. All right, where was I? Divine fiat, which means God wills and commands it to exist, and it does. God's word, in other words, has the power to accomplish what it wills. And then the second thing I want you to notice about God speaking creation into existence is how personal it is. He speaks. He communicates. He wants his will to be known because he wants to be known. And... Did you notice in verse 2 and then in verse 26, God's not alone, (laughs) right? We got the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, and in verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. This is obviously a reference to the relationship that God has himself with himself in the Trinity, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are a loving relationship with each other. So God is communicating within the Trinity what his will is for man and what is his will and desire for us, man as male and female, that we would be in his image. So, so far, what are we hearing? That God is relational. And that by speaking into existence creation through the power of his word, it means that God is not only intimately involved with all of creation, but he desires to be in a relationship with all that he has made. And this is what we looked at a few weeks ago. It's like, all right, wait, if God is self-existing in three persons, If he is eternal and has no beginning, (laughs) if he doesn't need us and doesn't depend on us, then why in the world did he create the world? The answer to that question is one of the things God wants you to hear. The triune God who is a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wants to extend his love to you and I. (laughs) God created the world, in other words, to broaden the circle of his love. In other words, God wants his love to go public. 
But to do it, he has to create a habitable place for us to dwell. And this is where, okay, the reason why I warned you all about those rabbit trails, because I went down them, holy cow, I spent all Monday down the rabbit trail of verse 2. What in the world does verse 2 mean? I mean, we got God creating the heavens and the earth in verse 1, the visible and invisible realms. (laughs) And verse 2 seems so out of place, though. Because what? The earth was without form and void, and darkness is over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. What is this? (laughs) I don't know. And to be honest with you, nobody knows. This is what made it so hard, because these are not positive biblical descriptions, are they? I mean, without form? What does that mean? Void? Darkness over the face of deep? What are these descriptions of? Chaos. Chaos. These are descriptions of something that is inhabitable, something that is dark and dangerous. So you got to ask, how is this a part of God's creation? And what is it? <laughs> like I said, I don't know, and to make it worse, every commentary I had doesn't really know. The explanations that they give are not satisfactory, okay? And I read seven of them to try to figure it out. So I don't know what this means, and I'm going to be honest, I'm okay with not knowing. Because maybe it means something to Israel. See, after 400 years of what? Darkness, disorder danger, chaos in Egypt. Now God is speaking order to their lives through the words that he gave Moses to write down. So I may not know what this formless void of deep water and darkness is, but man, when God speaks, let there be light and there was... When God separates the waters and speaks order into existence, wouldn't that help explain what Israel has just been through to give them hope? See, wouldn't Israel understand the image of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters? (laughs) Because what was hovering over them that led them out of Egypt and then led them through the waters that were separated, right? God led them with the hovering cloud and separated the waters of the Red Sea. And what happened? Israel walked on what? Dry land, a new creation, a new kingdom. So wouldn't this give hope to Israel to know that God is over the deep, dark, chaotic floodwaters and he's able to bring order out of chaos? Hmm. And that he's doing all of this because he wants to dwell with his people, okay? See, I want you to look at how intimate this relationship is. Look at verse 2, this word for hover. Holy cow. It's used to describe a mother eagle brooding over or incubating her young eggs. 
<laughs> spreading her wings to warm and protect her younglings. God's life-generating, life-giving spirit is intimately hovering over the egg of the earth. In other words. So right now, what are we hearing? That God is over and in control of the chaos, of the darkness, of the emptiness, and he can fill it by the power of his word. Why? So that he can be in relationship with us. But that's too broad. That's too general. <laughs> okay? Um, God wants you to hear something even more specific than that. You see, the order and the structure of the creation account, it's very significant, okay? Notice how it starts with the eternal relational triune God and then works its way down, okay? It comes down to the vast expanse of the universe and the cosmos in the heavens, down to the vast expanse of the waters of the sea, down to the vast expanse of the dry land. So do you see what's going on in days one through three, though? Okay? Track with me. What is God doing on days one, two, and three? He's creating realms, habitable places to dwell. And then, notice, day one, light. That's a habitable realm. Day two, what the heavens and the sky, those are habitable realms. Day three, the sea and the dry land, these are habitable realms, right? But then what's happening on days four, five, and six? He's creating rulers, kings over those realms, okay? Day four, God placed luminaries, sun, moon, stars. Why? To govern or rule the day and the night. Day five, God creates sea creatures and winged creatures to do what? To rule the skies and the seas. Day six, he created land animals and then man to rule over it all. <laughs> and that's why I want you to notice the special attention given to us as male and female. We are made in God's image. And then God placed us in the unique and exalted position of having rule, having dominion over all that he has made. <laughs> the creation account, it starts vast and it works its way down. It becomes narrower and more specific to the creation of man on day six as male and female. So I want you to know, so it's not starting with the greatest in creation and then working its way down to the least. The order here is significantly making clear that we, male and female, are the crown of all of God's creation. Man, what does that mean? <laughs> that means that God created the world and all that is in it for us. To dwell and to rule 
over all that God has made. But God isn't just creating the world to be a habitable place for us to dwell. He's creating it to be a habitable place where he can dwell with us. Remember, this is God's story. God's the creator. We are created beings. So as high and exalted as God puts us, we're only servant kings under the true king of kings. Heaven and earth, in other words, they're being constructed to be a house of God, (laughs) a temple, a palace where God would dwell with his people, where the great king would dwell with his vassal servant kings. So what does God want us to hear? The creator and king of all things wants to dwell with us. With us. He's creating a kingdom where that will happen. (laughs) But there's one more thing he wants us to hear because there's one more day, right? If you hear what God is saying to you in day seven, it will profoundly impact your life in ways you cannot imagine. See, days one through six have been preparing us for this, okay? From preparing us to hear the point. The personal power of God's word, it not only creates what he wills, okay? The personal power of God's word defines value and gives meaning. See, the world, it's not a result of chance. It's not a result of random forces. It is created out of nothing for a reason, for a purpose. Which means creation's purpose and meaning comes from what God sees and declares. Okay? You got track with me on this one. What God sees, He gives value to. So when God creates, Right? What's that repeated phrase? And God saw, and it was good. What did he see when he created? He saw a reflection of himself in what he had made, and he declared it good. Man, we as Christians, we get, we get so caught up in the spiritual that we neglect the reality of the physical. God loves this physical world. Physical matter matters to God. Why? Because the beauty of creation reflects the glory of the one who made it. I mean, who here, I mean, let's be honest, who here has not experienced glory and beauty of God in creation? Whether it be a, on the beach, you have a beautiful sunrise or sunset. 
whether it be you go for a hike in the mountains and the majesty of those mountains, or whether you're standing before the Grand Canyon and you're speechless, but you feel the reality of something, don't you? Or what about a severe storm? What about seeing a waterfall? What about going into a cave? There's something that happens. There's something you experience in the reality of creation. (sighs) What is it? When you're captivated by the awe, beauty, and the glory of nature, then what does that say about the one who created it? See, Psalm 19, which we did look at a couple weeks ago, it tells us what? (laughs) That all of creation is preaching a sermon about the glory and the beauty of God. But here's an interesting question. Why is creation doing that? You ever thought about that? Why is creation singing the praises of the beauty and the glory of God? (laughs) Answer, because creation knows that its creator delights in it. Here's the way I want you to think about it, because what is God saying to what he created? He's pronouncing a benediction of delight. It is good. It is good. It is good. Six times. But did you notice how the benediction changed after he created man, male, and female? God declares what? It's very good. Very good. What does that mean? Gosh. What does God want you to hear? This. God delights in you above everything he's made. God delights in you above everything that he has made. Made. In other words, God cherishes you above everything that he has made. God sings his praises over you. Very good. As grand and vast as the cosmos is, as the stars, as the galaxies, as the solar system is, as glorious and majestic as the mountains and the oceans are, as colorful and beautiful as plants and flowers and trees are. Nothing in creation is more beautiful to God than you. Nothing in creation is more special to God than you. He looks at you and he says, you are very good. I delight in you. Genesis 1, in other words, is the backdrop of all that we wish was true, isn't it? 
This is the way the world was made to be. This is what we all long for. This is the driving desire behind everything you do. We all long to live under the eternal benediction of God. We all long to live in the knowledge that God delights in you. But because we live on this side of Genesis 3, this is the hardest thing for us to believe. We all struggle to believe that this is the way God views us. We all struggle to believe that this is what God declares upon us. Why, though? Why do we struggle to believe this? Answer, because we know that when God looks at us now, he doesn't see the reflection of himself. He doesn't see himself reflected in the mirror of you. What does he see? He sees how we broke our relationship with him. He sees how we want to be him. (laughs) We want to be the greatest. We want to elevate ourselves. We don't want to revolve ourselves around him and the good of others. We want others to revolve themselves around our good. We want to be the greatest. We don't want to live under the rule and the authority of God. We think we can rule and have authority over our own lives because we want to do what we want to do. Man, so how in the world can God delight in us when we don't reflect him? How in the world... Can God delight in us when he doesn't see himself in the way we live? Which raises a question, doesn't it? (laughs) Did God stop delighting in us because of our sinful rebellion? Where we turned his kingdom upside down and ruined his grand design? Y'all ready to hear what day seven has to say to you? See, the construction phase is now over. The building project is done. On day seven, after God's house, after his temple, after his palace, after his kingdom is completed, what does he do? He sits down and he rests on his throne. (laughs) And the creator and sovereign king is not tired, right? I mean, whoo! strain my vocal cords creating. That was tough work. No. He's not tired and must regroup and recover his strength. What does it mean? It means that when he's taking his throne, he's delighting in all that he has done. When God takes his throne, he's enjoying He's satisfied. He's delighting in all that he has done. Don't miss the refrain that's missing on day seven. (laughs) Don't miss this. After each day, I tried to point it out, right? There was evening. There was morning. 
day one. There was evening, there was morning, day two. Same refrain, day three. Same refrain, day four. Same refrain, day five. Same refrain, day six. No refrain on day seven. So what in the world does that mean? Day seven's an eternal day. Day seven's an eternal day. God will always be on his throne, in other words. He will eternally delight in what he has made. God was on his throne, in other words, when Adam and Eve sinned, and we're going to look at that next week. God was on his throne when Cain murdered Abel. God was on his throne when the world got so wicked he destroyed it with a flood. God is on his throne right now while you're rebelling against him. Now, I purposely did not give you Paul's full quote in Romans 10, verse 17. (laughs) Faith comes from hearing, Paul says, right? But not just hearing any word from God. Faith comes from hearing the word about Christ. In other words, our faith begins and it grows when we hear the word about Jesus. See, in Genesis, what do we see? We see God on his throne forever, delighting in what he has made. But because of sin, we don't believe that now. So now he has to prove it. How does God prove that he eternally delights in you? Answer, he steps off the throne. John 1, 1 through 14, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, the Word who made all matter (laughs) became matter. The eternal, invisible God became visible. Why? to live and die for us so that we could live again under the benediction of God. In other words, what's happening on the cross, Jesus hanging on the cross is the reversal of creation. On the cross, the word of God said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus heard no benediction of delight from his father. The spirit is not hovering over him. The one who sings creation's praise is now cursed. 
The light of the world is engulfed by darkness and evil. Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was decreated. Jesus was unmade and died so he could remake you and me. See, in Genesis 2, God rested. Why? Because the work of creation was done. On the cross, when Jesus breathed his last breath, the work of redemption is done. Do you hear God's word from the cross? It is finished. If you do, when you trust in that, you know what happens? <laughs> you have entered God's eternal rest. You know what happens? You have God's eternal benediction of delight over you. <sighs> because Jesus finished the work of redemption, we read in Hebrews, what did he then do? Sat down. It's completed. It is finished. And right now, as the resurrected king of glory, Jesus is reigning and ruling over all the things that he created for his own glory and you're good. So now, Christian, holy cow, the exhortation for you is to live under the benediction of God's delight in you. Because it's eternal, it will never change, it will never end. God pronounces his eternal benediction of delight on you. And because he does, would you then be a blessing to others? Would you then expand your circle and love others? Because when you do what's happening, God's light is shining in this dark world. Amen.